If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like you to open with me to the book of 1 John. We'll be in 1 John chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 13. And on your way there, I'd also encourage you to mark your place in Romans chapter 8 and Galatians chapter 5. So, we're going to be in three different sections mainly. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to read verse 13, that's where we're going to start. Then we're going to jump back to Romans 8. It will also be in Galatians 5, and um, I'll be referring to select verses I do have up on the screen that uh, uh, Romans 8 and Galatians 5 are the other texts. We're not going to look at the whole chapters. We're not going to read those, but uh, I will we'll be referring to some verses out of them. So I'd encourage you to have those. The text will be up on the screen in case you don't make it there in time. Now, we are finishing our little mini-series that we've been doing on knowing that we know whether or not we are truly saved. You remember we've, we've talked about um, the issue of assurance here lately. And this is a say that we started a few weeks ago. And, and we're trying to see what the Bible has to say about knowing that we're saved. Not just feeling that we're saved, not just hoping that we're saved, but knowing that we have salvation. Now today we're going to look at the final test out of this little book of 1 John. There are other things that we could look at, but we're going to focus in on this last little bit. And on this, this seventh test, and, and John doesn't really give us a lot of information. He really, it's just going to be one verse and he just makes a statement, but he doesn't elaborate on it. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Romans 8 and, and Galatians 5 and a couple, a couple different places like that and see what the New Testament has to say about the Spirit and His role in our life and evidence that, that He is in our life and kind of flesh out what John alludes to in 1 John chapter 4. So if you have found 1 John 4 and are able to, I'd like you to stay in honor of God's Word. We're just going to read one verse, and that is verse 13. John says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> now the first thing I want you to see in our text today is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, John gives us a test, and it's not just a test, but really it's the test. It is, it is the biggest overarching uh, uh, test that we can apply to ourselves, because really this test sums up all the other tests that we have looked at. It is, it is the source of all the other tests that we've looked at. It is the summation of all the other tests. Do we have the Holy Spirit? Are we indwelt by the Spirit of God? And looking at what he says, he says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. Now that word translated as abide is one that you probably have noticed John uses several times in this little book of 1 John. And it has the idea of, of a permanent dwelling. It has the idea of, of being attached to something. It has the idea of, of, of home. And what he's, getting, what, what he's getting ready to tell you and tell us is, is you can know that we live within God, that, that, we, that, that we dwell within God, we abide in God. And not only that, He abides, He, he indwells us. Now look at what he says. He, he says that his, his permanent abode is within us. How do we know? He has given us of his spirit. In other, way, in, in other words, the way that you know that you are in God and God is indwelling you is that God has given you the Holy Spirit. He has given, of you, he has given you of the Holy Spirit. Now look at what he says in verse 13 again. It says that he has given us of his spirit. Now in Christ alone, the spirit dwelt uh, without limit, with, with uh, without measure. But all of us as Christians have a measure of the Spirit. Now what, what I want you to see is that the Spirit Himself is a gift. Now some of, our, some of our brethren in other theological camps put a lot of emphasis on the gifts, plural, of the Holy Spirit. 
And, and by that they mean the divine enablements that God gives us through His Spirit to minister to one another for the glory of, of, of God and of Christ. They put a lot of emphasis on that. Too, too much so sometimes, I think. Having said that, sometimes I think those in our theological camp don't put enough emphasis in that area. But that's not what I'm talking about, because I'm not talking about the gifts plural of, of what God does through us, but rather I'm talking about the Holy Spirit himself is a gift. Now, Peter talked about this in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. It says, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. John says that we as believers have been given the gift of the Spirit's presence in our lives. He indwells believers. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Now, thankfully, Scripture mentions a few evidences that we can look at to say, yeah, the Spirit is, is active in my life. And as I said before, John doesn't really flesh that out. But we are going to look at just four things, and this is far from an exhaustive list, but this will help give us, hopefully, some helpful direction. The first evidence that the Spirit is active in our lives is that we put to death our old way of life. That we put to death our old way of life. Now, if you have uh, Romans chapter 8 uh, found, I'd like you to turn over there. Again, it's going to be up on the, on the screen if you don't have it. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read verse 13. Romans 8, 13 says, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now in this section, Paul is, is contrasting two groups of people in the world, the saved and the unsaved. There is no middle ground. You're not partially saved, you're not kind of saved, you're either in or out. You either are a, a child of God or you're not. You're either saved or unsaved. You're either spiritually alive or spiritually dead. The imagery that Paul uses is the, the old way of living, the way of the flesh contrasted with living in the Spirit. And he says that, that there are only two ways that you can live. There's living in the flesh and living in the spirit. Now, the, the, the saved and the unsaved person, the, the, they're all, they're, like I said, there's no middle ground. And they have two different outcomes. They have two different sources. And you'll notice that Paul says in verse, thir- verse 13 that the way of flesh leads to death, but the way of the spirit leads to life. And notice what this spirit-led life looks like. Now, that's a tongue twister. The spirit-led life looks like. The person who has the spirit will put to death the deeds of the body. They will put to death the deeds of the flesh. Your Bible may translate that as, as mortifying the deeds of the body. Now, we talked about this in a recent past, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but I will go ahead and mention it because it's, it's in the text. When God saves us, when he, when he brings us into his kingdom, when he adopts us into his family, he makes a total change in our life. He makes a total change within our heart. He, he totally changes our nature. And so, so, so those, those, those sins that we once loved, we begin to hate. And those things of God that we once hated, we begin to love. God makes a change in our hearts. And, and it's a process, and it's called sanctification. We're being molded and shaped into the image of Christ. Now, there are two sides of this coin. And one side is what, what uh, Paul mentions in, in Romans chapter 8 that we begin to put to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh. And, and, and what are those deeds of the flesh? Those are those, those are those things that you used to live in. Those are those things you used to enjoy, those things that you used to glory in. As we begin to get closer to God, we, we begin to choose not to sin. We put to death the deeds of the body like, 
like immorality. We choose not to do that. The Bible says don't steal, for instance. We choose not to steal. The, the Bible says to, to, to not bear false witness and to tell the truth. We begin to do that. We, we, we put away the gossiping and the slander and all those things, those old ways of life, those things that come naturally to us. We put those away from us, and, and that is a sign that we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. The other side of the sanctification coin, so if, if you imagine it, that's one side. You put to death the deeds of the body. You flip it over what's on the other side. The other side is that we begin to exhibit, we begin to live out and show the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I'd encourage you to keep your place in Romans 8, but turn over, if you would, to uh, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. And in this text, again, you'll notice there are some common themes Paul is contrasting the, the way of the flesh and the way of the spirit. The life that is lived in the, in the, in the old way of, of living and the spirit-filled life. And pick up in verse 19, look at what he says. It says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now this is just what we looked at last week. If these are the types of things that characterize your life, that's, that's the old way of living. That is living in the flesh. And the Bible says, and, and, and Paul says it right here in, in our passage, if that is your lifestyle, if you are living in, in, in intentional unrepentant, habitual sin, you are not saved. The language that he uses here is, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, in contrast to that, verse 22, the new way of living, the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, do you hear this consistent message that, that the Bible's given us? Living, in, living by the Spirit, living in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, are all ways of saying the same thing. That the Spirit of God indwells believers, and He changes our hearts, He changes our life, so that we begin to, to so, so that He empowers us to turn away from those things which are evil, and turn to and, and exhibit and live out the things that please God. And when you, when you look at this list of the fruit of the Spirit, you'll notice each of these things was lived out perfectly in the life of whom? Not your pastor, that's for sure. Jesus. Really, the, the, the Spirit-filled life is the, is the Jesus type of life. And, 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 and the first evidence that the Spirit is active in our life is whether or not you're living these things out. Are you being sanctified? Are you turning away from these deeds of the flesh? Are you turning away from, from the old lifestyle? Do you see its sinfulness? When you give in to those temptations and you, and you commit some of those sins, do you feel conviction over that sin? Do you not only feel drawn away from it, but an inward pull to, to follow that leading, away from, from sin? And on the other hand, do you notice the fruit of the Spirit being developed in your life? Now, I admit... Sometimes whenever I think about the, these fruit of the spirits, on any given day, it's like, that is one I am not showing today. I mean, even, even as I was preparing for this, 
you know, you lose your temper and, and things like that, and it's like, wow, that's not very comfortable. But you, you think again, this is not this is not perfection that that we're going to show in our lives. But you look back, you take a step back at, at, at and just look at your life. Are these things showing more and more in your life? Do you have lot more love and joy and peace and, and all those things than you used to have maybe last year, five years ago, ten years ago? Yeah, not perfection. But you need to consider the direction your life's going. The third evidence I want you to see is that the Spirit gives us assistance in prayer. Turn back to Romans 8 if you would. Romans 8 and verse 26. Romans 8:26. Now we're not going to spend a lot of time on this one because the the spirit does help us when we pray, but he, we are not always we're not always conscious of his activity uh, in this area. But look at uh, look at verse 26 again. It should be up uh, should be up on the screen as well. It says in the same way the spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now I want you to notice, among other things, what, what it says. And again, a lot, a lot more can be said here. But the Bible says, the Spirit helps our weakness. Now your Bible may translate that word weakness as infirmities. Our, our weaknesses, our, our frailties, and no doubt He does whenever we are physically frail, whenever we are going through sickness or, or a, 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 a terminal condition or, or, uh, or maybe we're being overwhelmed with the things of life, we're sick, whatever it is. He, he does help in those situations, but that's not the focus of this text. Because if you'll notice in particular what He says in verse 26, He says the Spirit helps our weaknesses for, because, here's, here's the way He helps, we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray for it. And each time that we pray, it is so reassuring that the Spirit comes alongside us and helps us in our prayers. He, he teaches us to pray. He directs our hearts. Have, have you ever been in prayer and you started to pray one thing and found yourself praying for something else about a particular situation? Sometimes the Spirit teaches us to pray. He, he, he molds our 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 thoughts and our minds and our, our, our desires to go along with the will of God. Maybe you've had this happen. Somebody, all of a sudden, maybe, maybe you're laying in bed, getting ready to go to sleep. Maybe it's just through the day, whenever it is. And all of a sudden, you, this, this person comes to mind. You haven't thought about it maybe for years. But all of a sudden, this person is, is just heavy on your heart. And you begin to pray for that person. And you talk to them later and, and say, hey, man, I was, I was praying for you. Uh, was there something going on on this date? And I say, yeah, and they, they share whatever it was. That is the Spirit of God helping you to pray. That is Him doing what Paul's talking about in Romans 8. Now again, the Bible, we're not always conscious of, of, his, of his work in, in our prayers and Him interceding for us and transforming our prayers. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, but, but the Spirit helps us when we pray. And the last evidence I want you to see that the Spirit is, is, is active in our lives is illumination. Illumination. Now you don't have to turn there if, if you want, but I do want to mention just a couple of texts. Again, they should be up on the on the screen here in just a moment. The first is John fourteen twenty six. Now you remember John fourteen uh, and, and the following couple of chapters. 
Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's with the, the disciples in the upper room doing the Last Supper and, and all those things. And he tells them he's going to go away and the disciples are all upset. And so Jesus comforts them. He says, I'm sending a comforter to help you. I'm sending a, the, the spirit of truth to, to teach you all these things. And here's part of what he says in this promise of the Holy Spirit coming on them. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Later in John sixteen thirteen, it says, but when, he, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will, not, he will speak and will disclose to you what is to come. Now, there is a special sense in which that was, in which that was fulfilled in the life of the disciples. Because through the Spirit's inspiration, through the Spirit's guidance, they could remember these teachings of, of Christ and they could write them down. That's what we have recorded in Scripture. That, that, that's, those are the Gospels. That, those were the early teachings of the early church. So there's a special sense in which that applied specifically to them. But it's also true in the lives, in a, in a different sense and in a lesser sense, in the lives of believers today. He, he's not giving any new inspired revelation today. But, but you know whenever you are reading the Scripture and you have that aha moment, and you're like, oh, now I understand that. Or, oh, now I see how that intersects with this situation going on in my life. That is the Spirit of God working in your life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. And so, and so one, of the, one of the ministries, one of the activities of the Spirit is the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and opens it up to the people of God so they can understand God better and they can know Him better and they can glorify God all the more. And so we have this ministry of illumination. Now understand, so many times people latch on to this idea and they think, well, any old thing that I think whenever I'm reading the Bible must be from God. No. How many times have you been reading the Bible? How many times have you been praying and all of a sudden you found yourself thinking about something happening in high school? I mean, something you're getting, oh, I forgot to put this on the grocery list. Now listen, that's not divine revelation. Sometimes it's the weakness of the flesh. I mean, sometimes we, you know, the, 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 the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I mean, if you, now listen, if you read whatever it is, and you think, ha, I have this new insight into God. Before you start writing your next bestseller, here's what you need to do. You need to put on the brakes and say, wait a minute. Does what I think this says, does that, uh, does, does that even make sense with what this guy's trying to say to his audience because if you don't know what he's saying to them you don't know what he's saying to you second you need to say does this fit with what is said in this book the book of romans for instance the book of galatians whatever it is does this fit within the context and the teaching of all of scripture and then if you think that's all yes then you need to say okay one step back further next thing you need to say is does this coincide with the way this has been understood through church history now listen Church history is not a divine interpreter of Scripture. But there have been millions of Christians over the last 2,000 years. And if you think you have some new insight, then no Christian anywhere of, of millions of people over 2,000 of years have, have seen or understood, you're probably wrong. You're probably 
not as insightful as what you think. It's kind of like that, kind of like that woman that I mentioned a while back that went to the preacher and said, I'm going to get a divorce. And, she, and the preacher said, why? Well, God told me to right out of the Bible. Oh, really? Where does it say that? Well, it says put on the new man. Okay, now listen. That is not saying dump your old one off and get a new model. That's not what it's saying. But sometimes we, we get this idea that, that it, well, I read it and I had this thought. It must be God. Not necessarily. You need to, you need to, you need to study to show yourself approved. Now, that is a word of caution, but the, the great thing is we can't fully understand Scripture without the Spirit's help. And whenever He works in our life, He can, he can apply that Scripture to us, and it can be such an encouragement. It can be, it can be a, a, a bit of wisdom so, so we know the direction to go. You don't get that on your own. That comes through the Holy Spirit and His activity, through His ministry in your life. And so John says, here's the final test. Do you have the Spirit? Now, early on, I said this was these tests are kind of like a rubric. If you've if you've been in school, you know what a rubric is. Uh, it's 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 a it's a it's a grading sheet for those of us who are not in in education. So here is the rubric. Here's here's a list of tests that John says you can apply your your life to this. Apply this to your life. See where they match up. He says, if, if you see these things as true in your life, again, not to perfection, if you see them as true in your life, you're saved. If you don't, you're not saved. So here are the seven, just in case you've forgotten over the, the last few weeks. Do you walk in the light? Do you acknowledge and confess your sin? Are you obedient to the commands of Scripture? Do you love the brethren? Do you love Christians? Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you deny his, his deity? Do you, do you deny his, his humanity? Do you recognize him as the Messiah? Do you live a righteous life? Where is your life characterized by intentional, habitual, repeated, unrepentant sin? And the last one that we looked at today, do you have the Spirit? Is he active in your life? So we look at these things and we say, oh, well, that's for the super Christian. No, this is for the Christian. These are things that are true in the life of every believer because we've all been, because they're all brought about by whom? The Spirit of God. And every believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God. John mentions it in our text today. Paul says in Romans 8 9, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but catch this, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If you don't have the Spirit of God in your life, you are not a Christian. If you do have the Spirit of God in your life, you are a Christian. Every believer has the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not saved. You're, you don't have eternal life. You're not going to heaven when you die. Now, the, again, the question must be answered is, do these things describe you? With no expectation of perfection. Because any of us can look at any of those seven and say, nope, not, not even close some days in this area. You can speak to your, to your spouse, you can speak to your kids, and they say, and that area, and that one, and that one, and that one. But we know our own hearts, and we know, I think it's C.H. Spurgeon or somebody said something to the effect of, don't be upset when people think, think bad of you because you're a lot worse than what they know. 
And you know that. You know that people may think that you're all right. They may even think you're a scoundrel, but they're, you're even worse than what they know because you know your heart. But again, you step back and say, what direction is my life headed? Where, where is my desire? Do I desire to please God? Am I grieved? Am I convicted when I do those things that don't please God? If, if, if you want to please God and you feel that conviction, that, again, that's an evidence that you're saved. That is, that, that is the Spirit's work in your life. So you look at your life and say, am I saved? Here's the grid. Here's the rubric. Here's, here's, the, here's how I can know. If yes, have assurance. Move forward in your walk with God because it's not about how we feel. It's about what an objective reality. Are you saved or are you not saved? And if the answer to that is no, if you're not saved, repent and believe the gospel. Turn to God in faith. Trust Christ for salvation. Repent of your sin and trust Christ for salvation today. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I want to encourage you to take an honest look and honest evaluation of your life using those seven things that we looked at in scripture do those things point to you being a christian or not a christian if you're a christian thank god for that you didn't deserve it if you're not a christian trust christ for salvation and then thank god he saved you because you don't deserve that either Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask with the psalmist that you would search us and try us. Let us know if there's any wicked way within us. And God, we know that we sin each and every day. And as believers, we know that interrupts our fellowship with you. And we pray that you would forgive us of that and restore that, that fellowship. God, for anybody that's, that's here today or maybe um, listening in at some other place or time, we, we pray that each of us would do true business with you. And if, if any of us is not saved, Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to us, that you would draw us, that you would help us to turn to you in faith. Lord, we... We know that it is all your grace that none of us deserves salvation, none of us deserves the life you've given us. And God, we pray that even, even now that you'd work in our hearts and wash us and cleanse us and let us be whiter than snow. 
God, for those people that we have in our hearts that don't know you, uh, we lift them up to you and pray for your uh, convicting spirit. We pray for for their salvation. We ask these saints in Jesus' name. Amen.